Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the 2020 Connecticut Outdoor Fishing Show here in Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Um, we are here and we have some awesome guests with us that we found on the floor just hanging out, chilling. Um, to my right, we have Captain Ralph on the Odyssey. Captain Ralph from the Odyssey and Captain Mike, Scourge of the Sea. Captain Mike from Scourge of the Sea. And online, who do we have on the phone? You know, this is Stephen Clark coming at you guys from Virginia. All right, guys. So let's kick this off completely right. Let's, uh, let's go around table. We can tell uh, who everybody is and where they're from and where we can find you. How about you, Captain Ralph? Uh, I'm Captain Ralph. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm a fisherman, commercial fisherman for Giant Tuna up in Provincetown, Massachusetts. How about you, Mike? Captain yeah, Mike go. Vitaliano from Scourge of the Sea. Uh, we're a hunt, uh, we're a fishing brand, offshore uh, big game and game fishing brand. We uh, we make stuff to kill big fish. To kill big fish, huh? That's what we do. All right, I love it. So what 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 got what got you into the into doing the the wicked tuna and and the big the big bluefin tuna up there in Providence? Uh, I just loved fishing as a kid, and went from catching small little snappers to bluefish to stripers to eventually tuna. Uh, tuna in New York wasn't really, uh, that, that good. It was a hundred miles to the ground. So it was a six to eight hour trip to go, to go fishing, to catch tunas. So I had seen on a magazine that some guys were catching them up in Massachusetts in, in the area of Gloucester and Maine and the Gulf of Maine. And the fish were much, much closer to the beach. So I, uh, one summer put my boat on the trailer and drove up there and checked it out. And, um, I really haven't been back since been up there fishing since uh, that trip. You just went up there and just <laughs> that never was came it, Yeah, I mean, you know, catching giant tuna is a mile to 20 miles from the dock versus in New York, 100 miles. And the fish in New York were only 100 pounds, and the fish up in the Gulf of Maine are 1,000 pounds. So for me as an angler, as a sportsman, it was the ultimate place to be. That's awesome. And do you do other things while you're up there other than just the bluefin tuna? Or uh, We run char. Yeah, we have a couple different licenses. We have ground fish, which is cod and haddock, and we have uh, striped bass, which is a, a favorite around Connecticut area here. Um, but every year is a different different thing. Tuna is something that's solid for us every year. We, we catch them every year. We make money with it every year. And the other stuff, like last year, we didn't catch any stripers up there. You know, it's a seasonal thing. Some seasons are good and some are bad. 
Right now, the COD season is closed because they're trying to restore the stocks. Um, but uh, the haddock fishing has been good. So in fishing, like anywhere in the world, it changes year to year. And as a fisherman, you got to be like a chameleon. you got to be able to change your colors and adapt and be able to uh, take advantage of what Mother Nature gives you. Absolutely. Um, so when you're – so I know because I've commercial fished uh, up in – up in that area for striped bass and stuff, what are the type of techniques that you use to, to do such a thing? Well, in um, our bass fishery, uh, my boat is an older uh, downeaster boat, so it trolls really well. So we've developed our own lures called bass bombs, and um, I make them, scourge to see him, Mike, he's the licensed reseller of the item. It's a high-end umbrella rig. That simulates a school of sand eels and a predatory fish, like a bluefish, chasing the sand eels. So uh, the, the striped bass, being a bigger predatory fish, um, sees that scenario as a realistic scenario and will attack it. And, we, of course, we have hooks on it. We have, you know, about 10 hooks it's on it. very sticky. So it's very sticky. So if he attacks that rig in any way, we usually catch him. So I normally, when I've, when I've been up there, I see you outside of the pack, like the lone wolf, and you're normally running way faster than anybody else does when they're trolling. What, what is the reason for that? Well, my boat has a really big propeller, so it doesn't go any slower. Oh, okay. All right, so that's the <laughs> I thing. I thought there was a technique to No, it. so what we had to do is we had to make adjustments for that because we didn't want to change the speed of the boat. The propeller's been on there for 30 years, and, and we don't want to change it. So to get the boat to go slower, we'd have to change the propeller. So we decided we didn't want to make any changes to the boat, so we made changes to our fishing style. Um, so we have things that we use like wireline and lead sinkers and egg sinkers and stuff, so we can get the rigs down to where the fish are at, at the speed that we control. Um, so uh, all good fishermen learn how to adapt. No, no two boats are the same. No two fishermen are the same. Right. You know, I can teach you how to do it, but when you do it, you're going to do it your way, and you're going to put your little spin on it, and that's what makes... Each fisherman a little different, some a little bit better than others. We also, uh, I'm a private investigator by trade. Okay. So I brought the camera technology. <laughs> You're right. And we did a little stealth underwater uh, right. surveillance of the fish. No, we, we, we put cameras on the line, and we show the lures in action. Right. We show how the, how the fish come in. They look at it sometimes. Then a fish will come out of nowhere and attack it right in front of the, the one that's checking it out. Right. It's an amazing uh, display. That what we up. found is... You only you only get attacked by maybe one-third of the fish that actually approach the lure. So out of three fish that approach your lure, only one eats it. Two knows it's something up and, and turn off on it. But it is amazing just to watch the behavior of the striped bass swimming along our rigs because some of the times they'll swim along before they even decide to eat. You know, it's just um, camera technology has definitely helped us uh, develop and perfect the bass bomb. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, we're selling them here if anybody needs them. Where, where can they find them? They can get them at scourgeofthesea.com online. They come in all different colors. We consider it a fishing system. So like on my boat, we have lots of different colors and lots of different stingers because on different days you get different clarity of water and just different attitudes. So if we're marking the fish and we're not catching them, we keep going through the colors because sometimes a color one day will just do something. On another day, it's a different color. Or it may be a mackerel stinger today, or it may be a pogey stinger tomorrow, or maybe an eel stinger. Um, so we sell it as a fishing system. Everything's interchangeable. You buy a few racks, and then you can change the the, the stingers. Colors. You can change the teasers, the, yeah, the and teasers the stingers, yeah. and different colors. So so you can really hone in on once you figure it out. You can really improve your fishing as the day goes on. 
That's you, awesome. Once you know what the menu is. And then you just change with the day. And That's it. And then tomorrow's it, another day. you got to start all over again tomorrow. <laughs> Honestly, you know, when, yeah. when we started running the Bass Bomb and I watched the commercial fishery in, in, uh, in Cape Cod, 400 boats in a line side by side jigging and live, live mackerels pulling up rats. And we're hauling slobs over the side one after another, yeah. holding them up. Yeah, both arms we, in the air. we seem to catch the bigger fish too. The smaller fish don't seem to get as aggressive on our rigs. The bigger fish kind of uh, will run out of the pack and attack our rig. So, you know, lots of times we're doing a little bit better than the guys on the inside. Like you say, I'm a little outside the yeah. fleet always. I'm a little off the edge. But um, it's been working for us, you know, and, and we're selling rigs. The rigs have been sold up and down the coast. They're using them all the way down to the Chesapeake Bay. And all the way up to go uh, up to Maine. So it's something. It's not a new invention. The umbrella rig's been around a hundred years. It's just making the best umbrella rig that we we did. Our eels, even if we run into a pack of bluefish, our eels have a special rubber that the bluefish don't bite off. So I've been through thirty dollar umbrella rigs I bought at Walmart, and you catch one bluefish, and the rig is garbage. So we had to we had to fix that system too, and found a much better um, rubber eel to perfect it. Right, right. So. It's taken a few years, but we got it to a point where it's really working well for us right now. We use Daddy Max stingers, which a lot of fishermen know about that. The Daddy Max, they look like a live fish, the way they swim. They it's, rattle, they, they move like a yeah, fish. Yeah, yeah. So we're using the best of everything. We get the best hooks. We get, And it's all rigged with tuna gear because I'm a tuna guy. Right. So I, all I had was tuna gear to rig. I actually started rigging the first ones just for me. You know, they were made for me, and now uh, Mike saw them, and Mike's selling the hell out of them. <laughs> Just it's it's them great up. for, you know, catching up shark bait. Yep. We'll switch out the Daddy Max stinger, and we'll put, we have a, a flasher, and it's great for bluefish, and, you know, they just whack Yeah, a lot of the it. shark guys are using them now on the way out of Montauk. They catch the bluefish, go out shark fishing, so it's, um, if, you have a, if you have a boat, you need a bass bomb. That's it. Or two. Get them. You can get them at scourgeofseed.com. Scourgeofseed.com, right, right? Or at the show. We got a, we got a couple dozen booth here. Booth 409. Yeah, booth 409. <laughs> is that what booth 409? I think, I think that's what it is. So, so being one of the first guys to put clients on a waiting list for a bite uh, when the bite is dead, who needs who needs to go to an, expect, uh, an expensive boat ride? So that's something that you did that you set aside like – you started that industry with, with the charters, with the bluefin tuna, and not just taking people's money, but really putting them on the fish when the bite was right. Well, yeah. I what, know. what was the reason for that? The thing is because I'm basically, I started out as a commercial fisherman, and, and I was never really a charter boat guy. So I was never looking to sell a trip every day. And I don't like selling trips on a day when there's nothing happening. You know, I don't like taking people for boat rides. So when people come to me and they say, I want to charter a giant tuna, um, I don't, you know, I tell them right up front, I can only take you fishing on that day because if they give me the date, I don't know if there's going to be a giant tuna around to catch. So when they want the date, it's I'll take you fishing. If they want giant tuna, I, ha- I have to call you. So they give me a deposit, and then I call them when I know the fishing is around and they have a chance because I don't like taking guys trophy fishing when there's no trophies. Right. You know, and some guys do it, and I, don't, I can't do that. Uh, it's just not... You know, if I'm going to sit out there and do nothing, I sit out there and do nothing by myself. Right. I don't do it with six people that are paying me. And, and going along with that, you fish alone. 
How hard is that to land a giant by yourself? Well, you know what? It started happening because of the necessity with the decline of the fish prices. You really couldn't afford to have a guy on the boat full time. And lack of you know, good help, I'm sure. Yeah, well, nah, you know, there's always, there was always guys. I mean, you know, I have a list now of about a 1,000 guys that want to help me because they see me fish alone. But that's not why I fish alone. I don't fish alone because I can't get anybody. I fish alone because I prefer that. Um, I stay focused all day, um, and I just enjoy the challenge. And, yes, when you hook up on a giant tuna and you have three rods out, you know, I got to reel two other rods in, and then I got to fight a fish. I got to kill him, I got to harpoon him, I got to tail rope him. You know, it's quite the task for one person. But over the years, you have a lot of time to sit there. So while I'm sitting there waiting for the bite, I'm actually going through my mind what has to happen when the rod goes off. So it's just, it's it's a professional sport like any other thing, hockey, baseball, football. It's, you condition your mind. You have a job to do and you condition yourself. Um, and, and it's a tr- tremendous amount of athletic ability involved in a day at sea. Just, you know, standing up is the challenge Right. a lot of days. So standing up and doing all these things and, you know, and then people say, well, don't you get bored? Well, when you fish on the boat yourself, there's no time to get bored. There's always something to do because typically there's two people doing it, cutting bait, you know. I mean, even the, the, the basics of cleaning the boat, you know. At the end of the day, you got to clean your boat, you know. It's not healthy. The fishing boats are not healthy when you have bait. Rotten and stuff like that. Lots of bacteria. Fish bacteria is very dangerous. So, I, you know, there's always bleach. There's always something to clean. There's always rods to fix. There's always lines to strip and put new lines on. By the time I'm done fishing a day by myself, I'm ready to go to sleep. It's a rough day. Yeah, there's no boredom involved, you no. know. And then I get up, you know, before, an hour or two before the sun comes up and start catching bait again for the day. And it there it goes. The cycle starts again. Um, but it's a very rewarding thing when you do tie up a giant tuna by yourself. You know, when you're hoisting something that's 800 pounds over the deck and there's nobody else on the boat, it's kind of invigorating. And it's it's just a self. It's yeah. It's just it's you know. I mean, it's like taking it to the to the max. You know what I'm saying? It's like I've been fishing all these years. I've sold over 500 tunas. What's next? Right. You're extremist. Like, do you catch set them a, yourself? Do you set a goal like every season? Like you you want to catch. A 92-incher, do you, do you set a goal no. for yourself to try and beat, nope. or are you just... Nope, I go out there and I do the best job I can every day, and some days it's going to be a little bit better than other days, but I go out every day and I do the best job I can, and that's basically the way I do it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a skill in itself. Just, I mean, it's a skill in itself to have a team to do something, like Mike, you know, catching big tuna and everything, it's not an easy thing, and then he's going out there by himself. And in the sea's turn, I mean, anything could happen. It's definitely a... It's a dangerous game. I mean, I've been hurt, and I often said if I didn't almost die this year, then I didn't fish hard enough. (laughs) It's a... Pretty much. What was it? I think it was two years ago, commercial bass season, the the storm had turned for the worse, and we had gotten caught out there, and it was just absolutely horrendous. I think the seas were like 16 feet at one point coming across through the race, and it was... It was yeah. a scary thing. We don't. When we get caught in that stuff offshore, we just stay there. You sit on the floor, and you just you just yeah, wait you, it out. Some days you can't fish. You just lay on the floor all day sleeping because you can't really get up. You get hurt. So you just lay there yeah, and let the boat take stay, its toll. You get anchored up. You know the, the boats are stable. These down east boats have all their weight low in the waterline, so they're not going to roll over unless you get a forty, fifty foot wave. And we don't get that stuff there. But you know, if we have ten, twelve, fourteen foot seas, and you, it's unsafe to travel. You know, we just anchor up. That's insane. So, you, you know, I've had days where I really couldn't fish. Maybe put one rod out and then go back and lay down. 
on the floor. Because if you're above the waterline, you're just getting thrown into the boat. You know, wind up hurting your shoulders or your ankles, and you know, you just got to lay down and wait for. You know, the other thing is you have to be a good forecaster. I mean, we do. We would do something like that if the wind's only going to come up for a tide. You know, six hours, because we usually see the weather and we get good detailed forecasts from uh, NOAA. So, I mean, if the storm's coming, it's going to be three to five days, then whatever it takes, I go home. But if a lot of times in the summertime, you'll just get a brief window, six hours of big waves and big wind, and we just sit it out. And then on the other side of it, once it passes, it all comes down. So as long as I see a better day coming, I'll stay. And, and you're going out there for a certain tide. So what's the best tide to catch a bluefin? Oh, I'm out there for all tides. And there's, there's four tides a day. So there's two highs and two lows. So um, different years, different things. Some years they bite on low tide. Some years they bite on high tide. Oh, so it's not like a slack tide bite or anything mm, like that? Like well, sometimes they, they like, like slack tide. Giant tunas definitely like slack tide, but it's not religion. Okay. You got to be ready all day. Yeah, yeah, it could <laughs> happen at any time. You, right? Yeah. But but like but, one one section's not better than another. Then because well, you, you hear a lot of people talk. You're always looking forward to the change of the tide. Okay, that's in most fisheries when fish get stimulated. Um, so you're always pre- preparing that you got your best shit out at slack at, at slack because that's when it. But there's fish, you know, I've caught fish all through tides. You know, it's not to say that it's religion, you know. But, yeah, we do make sure our shit's together on a slack tide. We were out We were out this year, and uh, we woke up in the morning real early. And he's like, well, I said, what are we going to do today? He's like, oh, we got a three-tide day. I'm like, a three-tide day, that sounds like a long day. Well, <laughs> luckily, on the third tide, right at sunset, we hooked a bluefin. And it was on from oh, there. 700 and something pounder. Yeah. What does it yeah. take for something, like, because a lot of people probably don't know, like, Obviously, watching the TV show, you don't know that how long it actually takes to fight something of that caliber. Well, the average probably an hour to two hours, but I've had, you know, 400-pound fish for six hours. You know, had 800-pound fish for eight hours. You know, I mean, they're all different. They're like people. Some some are in better shape than others. Some, some have more heart some, than Some are lazy. <laughs> some some are fat, chubby and lazy <laughs> What are you trying to say? <laughs> uh, we like chubby ones Chubby ones get us more money <laughs> Better fat, right? Yeah um, So I got a question So you, your end game You're running Scourge of the Sea, huh? Uh, well, what is the reason for Scourge of the Sea? The way we met was uh, at these shows He sells end tool uh, stuff Gaffs, harpoons Stuff that we use in the battle at the end Called the end game And um as a commercial guy, we don't spend money on that stuff. We make our own. Right. So I had an $8 harpoon, and he had a $300, $300 harpoon. <laughs> and he was trying to get me to use his $300 harpoon. And I was telling him, why should I use a $300 harpoon if I could make one for $8? Right. So he, you know, he, he sold me and sold me and sold me. And then finally I just said, I ain't going to buy it, but if you want to come on the boat, let's use one. And, and then we just became friends, and we've been using them, and we've been selling them, and and yes, his three hundred dollar harpoon is better than my eight dollar harpoon. <laughs> what makes it like that, Mike? Uh, well, I took a lot of the uh, teachings that Ralph showed me with uh, as far as evenly weighted harpoons and and how they fly. And they used to make them out of conduit pipe conduit. Yep. And uh, I found that a lot of the stuff, even the the ones that I had previously made to my current model, were too light or too heavy in the head and light in the ass. So they would fly a little funny. Some guys like that. They learn, they develop their skills to know that it dives. I don't like that. I like a javelin. I like a, a dart. You can like get a the, farther throw on and it. And the other thing is uh, the weight. It's a little heavier. 
Um, it's it's more about precision and aim than taking it and shoving it in from the back. Uh, I, I'm done with that. I want to hit it like a dart. I want you know work on your aim rather than your power, and you'll kill it every time. That's awesome. And that the other thing, they important. go right through bluefin's gill plates. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have swim hooks. You have gaffs, I have, stuff like that. I have gaffs, heavy-duty end-game gaffs. I, I do the Haywire Twist Tool, which is probably yep. my best seller. Oh, really? Um, I do swivel rod For shark holders. guys. Yeah, Haywire Twist yep. Tool for uh, you know, twisting wire, mm-hmm. twisting the heavy wire. Uh, I do the swivel rod holders, 0 degree, 15 degree, and 11 and 9 inch. So it fits all the rod butts. Usually guys in swordfish, swordfish guys get the... Uh, get the uh, 15 degrees yep and uh, they do them for the deep drop and all the giant guys up here they always get the 11 inch um zero degree but it's essential this is all essential equipment if you want to kill one of these fish you got to have the rod holders you got to have the harpoon good harpoon you got to have a a solid gaff gaffs will break in half and heads will pull out on these fish they're too big so we make them bigger and stronger and better that's awesome, and you're and, and that's and that's that's really an essential to to this whole the, this the, whole circle. The key to our relationship is, I mean, we're friends, right? right? Of course. Besides that, we actually rigorously test these things. He puts the the equipment through the paces. We leave it on the deck. We don't wash it. We just do the essentials to get it ready and use it again and again and again, and it performs outperforms itself every time. Yeah, it, you know, he's just perfected something that's been around for a long time, and you know, with modern technology. Um, we had the capabilities to make it better, and that's where Mike came in. I didn't have the tooling uh, knowledge or connections. So when I complained about things, he went back to the people and corrected them, and a lot of the things were penetration and uh, flying true, true to course. So his first ones, like he said, they weren't balanced right, so when I would throw them, they wouldn't enter the tuna fish 90-degree angle. So by making them heavier, we don't have to throw them as hard, and we're using the dynamic of the weight in the harpoon for the penetration. So we've we just you know manipulated a little bit of you know what we had to what we needed, and Mike bridged that gap and got us real close to just about. Last year was probably the best year I had harpooning the fish. We just didn't miss them last year. Just Ralph's actually been generous in letting me research and development on his boat. He's 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 working for money. You know he's he's commercial yep. fishing. I'm hoping that we stick a fish, and if, if it failed, we could lose his money. Right. So I can't fail. Right. So, well, when you pull a dart on a fish, you could probably pretty much say goodbye. You never usually get another shot at them. That's just my history. And those are the heartbreak ones because if you, if you get a fish close enough to harpoon them, you should kill them. Or if you did harpoon them, he should, should die. die. It's like letting a deer run away with an arrow mm-hmm. in him. He's got to die. He should die, right. He's going to die anyway. He's probably going to die anyway of infection or whatever, depending on where the harpoon hit him. So I don't like if you hit him and you you lose him, you know. So that was my goal with Mike. We can't be, especially, it's so hard to get a bite. It's so hard to get him that close to the boat. How can you lose him right at the boat? Right, you spend all that time, all that money, all that effort, and then there's something to go wrong. Listen, it could take a week to get a bite. So say you wait around for the whole week. You finally bend the rod, and two hours later, you finally see the fish. Here's a whole week of work, five, six, seven days, 20 hours a day, and you pull the dart, and then the line breaks. It's all over. And there goes your paycheck. And that's it till next week. Ugh. 
That's a rough, rough time. I don't want to take see too the much pressure. Time. See the pressure I have to face. <laughs> this is, you, I, this, I get you worried sometimes a, when I get a call when he's out. I'm like, I right, hope he's telling me you got something. <laughs> you got it or your dart sucks. No, I mean, we have it, a problem. Listen, or we have to go back to the drawing board. The last story before I let you take take yeah. me off this thing is, is the worst experience in my life was I was with Kit Valley Pirate from Wicked Tuna. And we weren't being filmed. We were just fishing. And we hooked one of the biggest fish that I've ever seen. And we fought him for eight hours, two of us. And usually I'm by myself. But this was with two guys. And Pirate was pretty good on the rod. He wasn't a schlep. Um, eight hours. After four hours, we put one dart in him and pulled the dart. So I said, that's all right. We'll get him back. We see the blood coming, right? We see the streak of blood in the water. I said, all right, it's not going to be long now. He's going to bleed out. Well, four hours later... We were still fighting that thing. We were into it eight hours. He came by the boat four hours later, eight hours into the battle. We put the second harpoon in him. He charged the boat. The dot pulled and the line broke and the fish sunk. And then you lost. The fish was gone. He's dead, too. Oh, he this died. Was, this was previous to me. Yeah. <laughs> this was not my opinion. I just want to make that <laughs> very clear. Make very clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. so that's why we were in search for the perfect harpoon, the perfect dart. Because those heartbreakers, that's probably the one time in my 40-year career catching giant tunas that I wanted to quit. Wow. After an eight-hour battle and two harpoons, I would say the fish was probably 1,200 pounds. Wow. It was the biggest moose that I've brought to the boat. But it just went bad at the end. It just went bad. And that's when it becomes so important. Yeah, the lobsters got them. That's why we're doing seminars for Endgame, to teach people. Yeah, well, it's basically really, for me, it's the discussion. I mean, I get a lot of people ask me, well, what do you do when the fish comes to the boat? You know, I mean, it is really – I had a guy call me up. He had one on the line, and it wasn't even near the boat. And he's like, tell me what to do. It's my first giant tuna. It's not even near the boat yet. And I was like, well, keep me on the line. Tell me what's going on. You know, like they had four guys on the boat, so I was like narrating from, from a, on, on land, you know. So uh, they actually got the fish to the boat. It wasn't a, t- a bluefin tuna. It wound up being a uh, pressure shark. Oh, really? <laughs> and that happens a lot, though. Well, yeah, sharks can act like tunas, and tunas can act like sharks. We've had it both ways. And it's, and it's crazy, and, and going back to what you just said, is that like there's a lot of people that want to be into the sport, hunting, fishing, whatever, but once they release an arrow or shoot a gun or hook into a big fish, they don't know what to do after that because it's never explained to them across the board. So what right. you guys are doing as a team to to bring it out and everybody and have these seminars and show what, and have that discussion of what actually to do, it's yeah. it's a huge thing because these things are very dangerous fish to be yeah. dealing with, sharks, tuna, yeah. so on and so well, forth. Well, I got scars to show them, you know. At the end of the seminar, I got a nice scar I could show them from a harpoon line. Harpoon lines are our enemy. Anybody who's ever been hurt or anybody who's been killed, it's usually to do with the harpoon line. Wow. And I've got some scars to show. Like I say, if I didn't almost die, I didn't fish hard enough. That's right. So that's my motto. <laughs> that's, an, that's a successful season. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't almost die. Yeah. I love it. I appreciate you guys taking the ride with us here on the Outdoor Drive, All and right. hopefully we can have a part two in the future. All right, cool. Thanks for having us.